Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. It's that time of year, everyone getting their taxes done ahead of next month's annual deadline, which this year, by the way, is on April 18th, not the 15th. And as someone who, at times in the past, has done their own taxes, they can be a lot. Are they too hard? Could we be doing it in a different, perhaps better way? For this conversation, we spoke with Robert Sagetty Jr. He's a CPA and a lecturer at Rowan University's Rohr College of Business down in Glassboro, New Jersey. Give a listen. So to start, kind of painting in broad strokes, how would you rate the American tax system, income tax system, how we get everybody to pay their fair share? Are we close to doing it as well as possible? Is it too Byzantine? Where would you kind of rate us? I think overall, we're we're probably in a pretty good position. It's really been this, this way for uh, most of the time that we've had an income tax. Um, you know, there have been a number of uh, debates back and forth about, you know, should we change the way that it is structured to use a different type of system? So, for example, there are uh, some other countries that use uh, or, or areas that use a flat tax system. You know, many people feel that's that's a little bit more appropriate. But, you know, I think I think overall, you know, we're, we've, we've probably got it as, as about as good as we're going to as we're going to get it. Um, I don't know that there's going to be any any big changes or any better way necessarily to do uh, what it is that we do as far as taxing. It feels to me as a layman, all the pressure responsibility is on the individual as opposed to the government and the employers who have all the paperwork and they know what you made and they know what you owe and stuff like that. Feels to me like we get it a little backwards. Should it be a little bit more on the government? They know they get a copy of the W-2s too. So mm-hmm. why is it all on me to to get it right? So, you know, we, we've we've consistently had what's what's called a voluntary tax system. So, um, you know, as, as strange as that may may sound, you know, it, it, it's really up to each individual to, to file their own uh, their own information. So the question really that you're asking is is kind of a question that I get a lot. Uh, or comments that I get a lot when I'm preparing returns is, is uh, you know, so I had this type of income, but I already had the tax withheld out of it. And my response to that always is, well, you had, you had taxes withheld out of it. Um, you didn't necessarily have all of the taxes that you need to pay withheld out of it because each individual is going to determine uh, based on their own, own circumstances. Um, for example, how they're going to file their return. So for example, uh, what the government does not know is that I got married last year or that I had a child last year or you know my spouse passed away last year. They don't get that information necessarily. The only way that they they can uh, can see that is by my filing a return. Uh, the other thing that the government doesn't really know, is what uh, in, in in a lot of cases, what sort of expenses or or deductions do I have? Um, for example, am I am I a teacher? Uh, you know, do I get a a uh, a deduction 
uh, for for supplies that may, I may have purchased for my classroom. Uh, what what did I contribute to uh, to charities last year? Um, did I make a uh, a contribution to an individual retirement account? All those types of things are are items that may be deductible on a return that the government does not know about. So I think by arbitrarily just saying to the government, look, you have all the information, just tell me how much I need to pay, you know, we're really kind of doing a disservice to ourselves in many cases in uh, the amount of tax that we actually owe. It's interesting to me because I feel like the American tax system, it's kind of I don't know if legislate is the right word, but we we try to nudge people in a direction of kind of the the lifestyle we would like to see in the breaks you get for owning a house when it comes to mortgage interest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the breaks you get for being married and having children. Is that a uniquely American thing as far as you know? And is uh, I don't want to say it, it just when you kind of take a step back, it is kind just of an interesting thing that the American mm-hmm. government is trying to just by making one path easier, kind of tell you how they want you to kind of live your life in a way. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can't necessarily speak in, in great detail to, to other countries. I do know that there are uh, some, some other countries that do have uh, benefits and deductions for certain things. I mean, I don't think probably to the extent that the U.S. tax system has, um, but that it, that has been historically uh, one of the ways for governments, whether we're uh, talking about a, the federal government or state governments or local governments in some cases, to really kind of direct the way that they want people to, I guess, for, for all intents and purposes, live their lives. Uh, you know, probably a, a good example of that recently is the Affordable Care Act, you know, what's sometimes referred to as Obamacare. That was a, a penalty that was assessed by the federal government on individuals who either did not have health insurance or had a uh, significant lapse in health insurance during a particular period of time. You know, many people felt that that was uh, inappropriate for, for the government to do. But, you know, it is, it is a way that a lot of legislators have determined you know, we can really kind of point people into a direction or, or, you know, make sure that they are doing things that we feel are the appropriate things to do. Um, another example of this would have been uh, just in the city, city of Philadelphia uh, a number of years ago, the, uh, the soda tax. Um, you know, really what they're trying to do is, is, you know, get people not to drink soda, to drink something else, because they have determined that, uh, you know, drinking soda is a health uh, concern. So, yeah, there are a lot of, of instances where uh, the, the the Internal Revenue Code really is kind of used for purposes uh, other than raising revenue uh, for the government, um, you know, and even state uh, revenue codes and and sometimes local revenue codes go that go that direction as well, um, and 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 instead uh, kind of looking more from the standpoint of um, you know forcing people in some cases to do things that they might not otherwise do because we feel that this is an appropriate thing for you to do. Overall, though, is the process too difficult, you think? And I asked is what kind of led to me wanting to have this conversation is I went to a professional to get my Mm -hmm. taxes done and I had a form uh, related to paying for daughter's college. Right. And he had never seen it before. And 
I don't know. It feels like that shouldn't be something that's that, you know, out there. It's not, I can understand if we're talking, sure. if you're into cryptocurrency and stuff like that. And right. that's, yep. that's weird. Um, and I don't say this to, to hate on the gentleman who helped me with the taxes, but it's mm -hmm. just, is it too wide ranging? Are there too many forms and too many forms that are similar, but you get in trouble if you use the wrong one. And if so, is there a better answer or have we going so far down this path that we're really limited in what we can do. Well, it, it, it's, it's funny that you asked that because um, if you go back to uh, the original tax form um, from, from uh, so, so it's essentially income taxes, as far as federal government is concerned, uh, started in, in 1913. And if you look at that form, it really was not a lot different than what we have today. There, there obviously were a lot fewer uh, additional pages associated with it, but you know, from the standpoint of layout and and types of of items that you saw on there, um, you know, basically kind of the same overall approach. Um, I, I would agree with you hundred percent. I think that um, from the standpoint of number of forms, the way that things are presented can be done much more uh much much more easily but really the, the the issue becomes it's not necessarily the forms themselves it's the tax code because the tax code requires certain types of things and and, and addresses how certain types of deductions are going to be calculated and things like that it feels kind of strange to 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 defend uh, the Internal Revenue Service, uh, from my standpoint, but really all they're doing, they are the the part of the government that that really makes sure that you know this information gets completed as the Internal Revenue Code requires. So they are in the they they're essentially the enforcers of of the Internal Revenue Code. So you know, really, if we wanted to simplify things, we really should look at uh, simplifying the code overall, and then almost by default the way that the returns are prepared would get simpler. You know, I know there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, re really we should have a postcard for a tax return and should, you know, should almost kind of be, you know, write down your income, multiply it by this number, and here's how much tax that you have. And my argument to that has always been, well, how are we going to define income? Because um, income uh, in the Internal Revenue Code really is defined as basically anything that's not specifically excluded. So how are we going to, to, to tell people, write your income or, or what is income? And, and there's a lot of uh, debate over that. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think what we have could be, you know, could be, could be changed. It could be simplified to an extent, but I don't know that we're going to get past kind of this idea of, of a, uh, a number of different forms that we have to fill out. It's just, it, but it's more because of the of the code itself than it is because of the 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 forms or the IRS. Um, you know, I I would argue that there are some states that probably are even more complex than the the traditional 1040 would be. Uh, New York is an example. New York uh, returns sometimes can can exceed in uh, number of forms, even the the ones. Uh, that are being filed for for the federal government. So it's a it's a very complex and involved issue that that really doesn't just necessarily get confined uh, to the Internal Revenue Service. How much 
to the point of it being complex, one of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older, and we talked earlier about, you know, how the government kind of nudges you in the direction they want to go. But mm -hmm. it seems to me we love to legislate through the tax code. And I don't I'm not trying to get political, but it seems to be specifically right. on the Republican side. You know, they'll be opposed to, say, the cash payments to people, but mm -hmm. we'll give you a tax break instead. Um right. Could we make this easier by going through and on certain things instead of making you file the taxes and all that and taking the money off just here? Here's a check for X amount, which is what it would be ballpark anyway. Or am I just making it too simple? And I picked the child tax credit, but I think there's a lot of things like that where, right. you know, you'll get a tax credit, but no, 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 we can't just give you money for that. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, I think a lot of that, um, again, kind of goes back to the legislators. Um, you know, they, they, they really do on both sides of the aisle kind of use the tax code as a, uh, a way of getting their constituents to, uh, to kind of approve of their, of their job uh, performance. Um, you know, we got you a certain tax break or we got you this money back or we got you this tax credit. Um, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, that's really been kind of the, the, the main uh, way that a lot of legislators have, ha have been able to justify what it is that they uh, have done while they're, while they're, uh, you know, in Congress. So, or, or, you know, uh, uh, you know, representing their, their constituents. And unfortunately that can change, you know, as the legislators change. So, a uh, new round of legislators come in and, you know, they they change the tax code to conform to uh, to what their constituents want at that particular time. Uh, maybe it's a change in, you know, maybe uh, a certain uh, uh, jurisdiction has gone from Republican to Democrat or Democrat to Republican. Well, one of the first things they're going to say is, well, we're going to get into office and we're going to change this uh, to to something else to benefit you. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of this goes goes back to looking at the the legislation process in total and, and maybe kind of, you know, getting that out of um, uh, the, the, the legislature, you know, uh, maybe almost to come up with a, uh, you know, here, here's the way that, um, you know, I mentioned a flat tax before we're you know, going to institute a flat tax and basically, um, uh, you know, here's how we're going to calculate it. Uh, the other thing there's been a lot of talk about is a national sales tax, uh, which would replace the income tax. That would be certainly uh, a way of taking that uh, issue away from the legislators. But then, you know, I guess the, the question would become, are they just going to move their approach from, uh, yes, you have a sales tax on these items, to well, when I get into into office, we're going to take the sales tax off of these items, and we're going to put it on these other items instead, because uh, you know that's really more representative of providing a benefit to the people in my in my uh, jurisdiction. So I, I don't know that there's any necessarily perfect answer to to that, but I think it all does start with um, with the legislators and and trying to really come up with a way to kind of get that ability uh, to influence uh, the tax code away from, from, from legislators altogether. I've done a lot of freelance work in my career. And one of the things you learn very quickly is 
your full-time job or your main place of employment when you're considered quote unquote employee, you get a W-2, how much was taken out and all that. But if you do freelance work where it's hit or miss, you know, you maybe you parachute in for something a couple times a month or whatever, you'll get, I guess it's a 1099 where Correctly. it's just, and you notice when you get paid, you get paid whatever you agree to with no right. taxes taken out. Right. Um, I guess kind of my question is once again, kind of going back to my earlier question about the onus always being on the individual, you know, why don't, the, why aren't taxes taken out of this just like they would be on a regular payroll? Why is the onus on the individual to figure out, you know, come tax time, uh, how much you owe and stuff like that? And that really comes down to this, this whole idea of, uh, I am not an employee of that particular organization. So, um, you know, again, the, the um, employer has a responsibility to withhold uh, these taxes from their employees. And that's, again, the way that it's written in the, uh, in the, in the Internal Revenue Code is that, uh, you know, this, these taxes only apply to employees. Well, if I don't have an employee-employer relationship with a particular organization, by default, they're not required to withhold those taxes from me. Uh, would be probably the general answer to that. The other answer would be that, or or maybe a, the, the second part of the answer would be that as a subcontractor, which is essentially what I would be uh, if I'm getting a 1099, is um, I, I'm going to have expenses, most likely, that relate to my work that I did for the uh, uh, the business organization you know, that, that weren't reimbursed because I am not an employee. So I, I, you know, was basically operating on my own. Uh, I'm expected to have my own, uh, my own supplies. I'm expected to provide my own transportation back and forth to uh, whoever this uh, business might be. So there, there are a lot of expenses that are going to be incurred um, from, from a, from a, a 1099, a subcontractor standpoint that the, uh, the business that's paying them is not going to know about, uh, not going to have any information on. So a, a general withholding uh, on that amount uh, probably is not going to be uh, representative of what the actual tax liability uh, would be for, for that particular type of income. So we've talked about where it's difficult, why it's difficult, or why it can be difficult. I'm going to make you king of the tax code for a day. <laughs> okay. Give me a couple things you think that could happen that could be done that maybe that don't upend the system, but streamline it, just kind of make it easier for the average person to to get through their taxes in a simple way. And I'm not talking pay more, pay less. Just mm -hmm. on, we're looking at purely through the the prism of the paperwork and the information needed. Are there a couple things that as someone who's been in the weeds with this for, for years, you think would really make a difference? Well, they, they, they actually addressed one of the areas that I think probably was the, probably one of the bigger areas, and that is um, itemized versus standard deductions. Um, and, and this is, you know, again, kind of a hotly debated topic, especially in, in this area because of the uh, real estate taxes that many individuals pay. So they they um, increased a, a, a few years ago. They increased the 
uh, the standard deduction, uh, which is the basically just the, the deduction that they give everybody based on your marital status. Um, it's, a, it's a blanket number. Um, and, and they increase that, that amount uh, so that really most people now benefit more from a standard deduction than they do itemized. So it saves people uh, a lot of time. It saves um, uh, really the IRS a lot of headaches because prior to that, many people were itemizing. So they were uh, determining what is my mortgage interest on my house? Uh, what taxes, uh, state and local taxes did I pay? So for example, how much state tax did I have with, withheld from my paycheck? How much did I pay in real estate taxes? Um, what did I have as far as medical expenses? And did I have enough to exceed uh, the threshold that would allow me to have some uh, some benefit to my medical expenses? How much did I contribute to charities last year? So a lot of this, a, a lot of this uh, uh, paperwork or, or, or uh, record keeping uh, was really required by uh, many individuals because they benefited more from the itemized deductions than they did the standard deduction. So really getting all of that information was very important from a tax preparation standpoint. Uh, when they increased the standard deduction, for, for many people, that, uh, that flip-flopped and, and they were able to get a bigger benefit from the standard deduction than itemized deductions. Um, the other thing that they did when they, they when they uh, instituted this higher standard deduction was they put a ten thousand dollar cap on the amount that was allowed to be deducted as taxes. So between that cap of ten thousand dollars and the increased amount for standard deductions that were provided to to taxpayers, um, there really was a significant drop in the number of individuals who are using itemized deductions. And what did that do? That, that eliminated the possibility of uh, maybe some taxpayers kind of manufacturing uh, certain types of expenses because uh, it would give them a benefit. Um, you know, it also made, made preparation a little bit easier because they uh, no longer necessarily needed to keep records of, of a variety of different types of expenses. So I, I think there could be uh, a number of other areas where they do uh, that sort of approach. For example, capital gains. Capital gains um, have to be split up into a number of different areas depending upon what type of property it is, how long you've held it, and based on all that different types of, of categorization, um, your capital gains might be taxed at a, uh, a different number or a different percentage. Um, you know, maybe just combining everything into one and saying, you know, capital gains are capital gains, and they're all going to be taxed at this percentage, whether they're short term or long term, doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big uh, area where there's a lot of complexities, especially depending upon the types of investments that the, the individual might have. Um, same thing with dividends. Um, you know, dividends are split up. Uh, based on the type of, of dividend that it might be, whether it's considered what's called a qualified dividend or an ordinary dividend. Um, you know, let's tax all of them at the same, uh, the same rate uh, in the same fashion. So there are a lot of different issues that uh, really could be, uh, could be addressed that way 
and and could be could could help eliminate a lot of the complexities that um, are 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 present in in certain tax returns. And I'm curious because you know April fifteenth, we all know is is the deadline, and there's always the I can't tell you how many stories I've seen on the news. It's tax day. Make sure you get them postmarked by yada yada yada. Right. Um, would we be better served by figuring something out where the entirety of the country isn't shooting for one deadline and maybe space it out somehow where even if we did something as simple as if the last number in your social security number is between zero and three, mm -hmm. your taxes are due on this date. And then another three months, if you're between four and seven this day, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like we kind of set ourselves up and set people in your business uh, up for this incredible workload for six weeks where we could, it doesn't seem like we could figure out a way to stagger this where it's just a constant flow of people filing and not just right. all at once. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I guess to th this year, I guess to just to, to, to clarify things, the deadline's actually the 18th, even though the 15th is on a Friday. Um, and that's because of Emancipation Day, which is uh, recognized or uh, I don't know what you call it, celebrated um, uh, on the 15th because it's actually on the 16th because the 16th is on a, on a weekend. By law, it goes back to the day before, which is the 15th, which means that everybody's deadline gets extended to the 18th. Um, this actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because this has actually been a, a, a big issue of mine for, for a number of years. Individuals, uh, yes, their, their, their general deadline is April 15th. Um, but that, that, uh, at least in, in my business, that's, that's, um, just one part of the, of the issue because, um, different types of business organizations are also due on the 15th of April. Uh, some types of business organizations are due on the 15th of March. Um, so, you know, in the, within the next, uh, the next week here, um, there, there will be a, a deadline for, for a variety of business organizations. Now, if you uh, choose, you can uh, file for an extension, which is not an extension to pay the tax, but it's an extension to file the forms. So if you feel that you have a tax liability that's going to be due with your return, you need to estimate that and send it in with the extension, or you might be subject to penalties. Um, here's here's where where we kind of ran into a problem um, a number of years ago. So, um, uh, for example, a uh, uh, many many businesses today are what we call limited liability companies or LLCs. Uh, their deadline used to be April 15th, but uh, Congress felt that uh, that was causing too much of a problem uh, with, with individuals to file their returns uh, basically the same day that their uh, businesses were filing their returns, the businesses that they were invested in were filing their returns. So they moved the deadline for, for limited liability companies from April 15th to March 15th thinking that, well, that's going to provide a lot of additional time uh, for individuals to get the information that they need in order to file their returns on time. And in many cases, it did exactly the opposite, because now that uh, the, the deadlines for limited liability companies had been moved up, that put a lot more pressure on the, uh, the accounting industry 
to get those returns done even sooner than they had been getting them done before. So many of those returns now are being put on extension, which by default puts the um, uh, the individual returns many times on extension. So it almost did the opposite of what it was supposed to do um, by you know basically getting more people to file by April 15th. It actually got, in some cases, less people to file by April 15th. Um, my feeling has always been get rid of the extensions and push the due date further out. So uh, basically, if you file an extension, that's an extension of time for six months. So if I don't file by April 15th, and instead I file for an extension, as an individual, that gives me until October 15th to file my tax return. Um, many people, you know, if they know that they have the extension, aren't going to say, well, yeah, I'm going to get that done in the next week. Um, you know, I'll just, you know, they'll wait until October 1st to try to get stuff together. So my feeling would be to really kind of eliminate a lot of this, um, you know, this, this pressure, both from a, an, an individual standpoint um, and maybe even from the accounting industry standpoint, you know, push a deadline out to, let's say, June 30th and say, you got six months to file your, your tax return. Uh, no extensions, no, no, um, you know, no uh, changing of that deadline, and and June thirtieth is going to be the is going to be it. Um, would that solve the problem? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there still would be a lot of people that you know would would um, uh, wait until June to file their returns. Um, but I, I think again, the the deadline is more from a uh, a governmental standpoint than it is from a uh, an individual standpoint because you know they're trying to get as much revenue in as they possibly can uh, you know early uh, in order to have the funds available to to uh, to send out these refunds so you know I, I I like the idea of you know kind of looking at it maybe from you know if your your social security number ends in a you know this number then uh, you file by this date. Um, or, or otherwise you file by this date. I don't know that that's going to necessarily solve the problem because I think the problem really really relates to this whole idea of extensions, uh, allowing people to, to kind of really kind of draw this out as long as they possibly can is, is sometimes a little, I think, a little bit more of the issue. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.